Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Remote work is not the enemy. I like, just like put it on my grave. The inability or unwillingness to adapt to a remote management style is creating a fallacy that's widespread amongst managers and directors and higher level, even C-suite operators, that productivity is only possible when people are being physically monitored. And that type of infantilization and disempowerment is going to snuff out the potential of incredible workers that are out there that are creative and dynamic and that may even have some alternative learning abilities that maybe do better in a home environment that maybe do better when they're able to have their fidget toy with them or when they can make their own schedule. Um, And I think that as a response, we've seen creators creating funny TikToks about, you know, wiggling your mouse and, you know, this narrative that people aren't doing their job while they're working outside the office. I am one of a lot of people that gets a lot more work done at home. I only go in the office one day a week for one of my jobs. And the reason, but I do most of my work for that job outside of the office. The functionality of being in the office is really about connecting and developing relationships with my employees. And so I devote a lot of time and I don't plan on focused work a lot during the times where I'm actually in the office. So I want to just first call myself out there and say that it was difficult for me to learn how to manage a remote team after managing primarily in person for all almost all of my career. And it is also important to understand this misconception that we have that we have to be a certain way or show up a certain way that felt really good in the past or we knew that things got done in the past and now things have changed so we need to go back to the past. But in order to understand truly the misconception, we have to accept two things. One, not every employee is going to be an effective remote worker, unfortunately. And two, not every manager is going to have the skills to ensure productivity. When remote relationships or work environments fail, that usually has to do with one or two of, you know, first or second, the employee or the manager not having the skills that they need or they're not meant to be in a, a remote worker. But most likely it is some combination of both. Because if somebody doesn't come to the table with a natural ability, it requires a different type of leader. And that leader may not have the uh, the words or the understanding to know that this isn't of malicious, lazy, or Um, sneaky intent to not be performing in the way that they want to. So just remember that generalities are killers here. So instead of talking about all the things that people do wrong, we're just going to go over what you should focus on in a remote remote culture to ensure that you are lifting up those who excel in remote work environments and staffing your team with talent that is conducive to the remote workforce. So most failures of talent usually has to do with both the management and the actual talent. 
we're going to hear a lot from the people that are fired. We're going to hear a lot of people that are, from people that are laid off. We're going to hear a lot from the employees. And that's because we're not really allowed to have an opinion as managers. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but the masses are made up of employees that work for other people. So we're likely going to have a narrative running in our head that's talking about the failures of management. But there's not always a huge set of circumstances or people, content creators or speakers or anything like that, that are going to talk about the ways in which some employees are not equipped to be in the remote workforce. So one thing I noticed that I thought was really interesting is I have employees that are of all ages. There's college age kids, you know, stuff like that. And when COVID happened, there was a huge shift in the people that were attending school because a lot of them could physically go out and say, remote schooling is not for me. We've even seen parents advocate for their kids in that way. Remote schooling is not for my child. It doesn't work. They are not good at it. They can't attach themselves to the material in the same way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't see that same narrative around employees. Employees often don't realize that it may not be their strength to work remotely and that it may be causing them more stress and more anxiety and less productivity and less career progression because they'd rather be at home than, you know, out in the workforce in public. And so in your company policies around work, I'd encourage you to focus on three main areas. Before we dive into those three areas, I just want to say that if you're trying to be a good manager and you're listening to this podcast, that means that you truly do care about the experience of your team. So while there is a lot of language and negativity out there, just keep in mind that we all have a job to do. And managers have the hardest job of all because often you have to be speaking to the productivity of a team below you while also navigating the needs of the manager above you. And the best piece of advice I ever got, and I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, was if you do have a manager, then your most important job is managing your manager, especially if your manager is a visionary CEO, entrepreneur, or that has ADHD or something. So just roll all that into a big ball and toss it over to my team because they're managing me all the time. <laughs> and so as a manager, it's really less important to worry about who sucks and why and more important about what you can do to get better at your job to be able to speak to, to attract talent that is better for a remote work environment or not if you're not a remote worker. Um, or if you're not a remote employer, um, and also develop talent no matter how you are working with them. And being able to, I think, learn how to hone in the skills of both in-person and remote work is only going to serve you in the long run. If you are a remote leader now, then making sure that you understand how to lead in person is also a good way to Add to, it's a good thing to add to your set of skills because that versatility and being able to lead in different environments to different people, to different personalities for different purposes is going to serve you on the fly while you're learning to manage your team. So in, in creating a company policy, which it does give you some control over what's going on at work, there's three things that you should focus on. So instead of the you know, don't do this, do that, do this, don't do that kind of vibe. Um, and I'd encourage you to focus on these three areas. Number one, behavior. So guidelines for behaviors while working remotely are really important because it gives your team something to 
grab onto so that they know what they need to do to do a good job. Setting those expectations of how they present themselves, if their camera is on, is there a potential to be off camera, et cetera, and communicating about those behaviors on a consistent and ongoing basis, not just in your orientation, which some of you may not even do. So keep in mind that that should be something that is reminded of consistently. Um, Number two, those expectations in general and making sure that who is assigned accountability when something happens. So assigning accountability to your employee about their productivity is going to be a shortcut to making sure that they can advocate for themselves, they have a voice in the way that they work, and the way that they show up is conducive to them being productive. So having conversations with your employees about their needs in their physical environment, even as a remote employer can be something that's super open-ended and straightforward, but also can just kind of help you to mine some ideas out of them if they're not performing that well, if they're not that productive, and they're feeling like they can't get focused. One way to lead people is to figure out what the problem is that they ha- that they can solve and help guide them into the right direction to solving that problem by empowering them to understand that they have that control. So for example, a social media manager um, may have completely different needs than a, um, finance person within your business because their productivity relies on different things. So generalities will not often work for a remote work policy. You'll actually want to speak to different types of employees that you have within your company, especially if you're a creative entrepreneur where you may have a small team, but everybody has super different jobs in order to touch on all the different things that your business needs to accomplish on the week to week. So that social media manager might be able to complete their job while being a nomad, collecting content, maybe even like having a different address every couple of months, producing videos or taking classes in person where videos are produced. Whereas an account manager on their same team, maybe even a coworker on their team, needs to be available between eight and five every day. They're called into remote meetings at a moment's notice and their coworker is out like running in, around in the world and they feel like that could lead to some uncertainty or not really understanding those expectations. So as long as your employee knows the expectations of their role in order to be successful, you can give them the autonomy to create a work environment that lends itself to their success. So if you have an employee that maybe is having a really hard time focusing during their work hours, but you're noticing that during calls, there's always like something that they're that's catching their attention behind their computer or somebody's walking around behind them or they have to mute a lot because there's lots of noise. So if an employee is getting really distracted or whatever, there's a way for you to say, hey, listen, like, you know, we have this set of behaviors that you have to have your camera on and that there you have to be in a safe environment, that you have to be sitting down, you have to be in a place that you can focus. Um, I'm noticing that there's a lot of things pulling your attention in different ways. How can we, you know, create an environment where you can be more a little bit more attentive? Because I do think it's actually affecting your ability to participate. And I really want to be able to advocate for you when it's time to apply for that promotion. So it's not necessarily like, hey, pay attention, you know, like snap, snap, because that's really disrespectful and it removes autonomy from their position. But instead, just saying like, you know, I sometimes don't feel like you're fully connected to what we're talking about in the meetings. I can really tell that you're not fully connected. Why is that? And if they're like, oh, well, you know, the best place that I have internet is actually downstairs, which is also where my husband works. And at certain times of the day, the dog walker comes in and I don't know, it just all really clashes with the time that we're having the meeting. So being able to say, okay, I totally understand. Is there another place that you could be involved in this weekly meeting that's going to allow you to have a little bit more um, awareness to what's going on. 
and being able to help them to find a solution. And maybe you can say something like, I know that, you know, we don't always allow everybody to be on their phones during meetings. But in this particular case, I think if you can find a quiet space and be on your phone and then, you know, just make sure that we're taking you're taking notes on your computer, that could be like a little bit easier for you so that you're not necessarily worried too much about that internet um, going in and out while you're on your call. And we know that you're not just like frolicking around in the world and you're actually paying attention, but just making a slight adaptation to our normal expectations. I think that could be a really great way to change a behavior while helping them to see the purpose behind it. And it's not just like, you know, I notice that you're not paying attention. Um, another thing to do would be if you can tell that somebody's on their phone during a meeting or they're not really paying attention to actually ask them, like, are you not getting much out of this interaction? Because I want to make sure that you are fully present and paying attention when we are set, setting aside the time to all meet together. And, you know, I want to make sure that you're not distracted because a lot of times like during these meetings, we all have ideas and we're throwing things around. And it's not just about, you know, checking something off a list. It's actually also about that connective that connective tissue between you and the rest of the team. So like, is there some reason that you're, that you seem disconnected? It may be something as simple as actually at the exact same time that we have that meeting is the exact same time that my kid's waking up from their nap or which for us at Paradigm, nobody, it doesn't matter. The kids there, they're, you know, whenever like we're not, you know, we don't have that issue. But I would say that specifically during meetings where you might have clients on the calls or things like that, being able to say, oh, okay, well, you know, if you're, or you know, if you have to rush off and do these two things at once and you're not able to fully participate, like let's change, let's change the time and space of the meeting. Um, or if you have to rush off immediately to go and handle a personal issue every single day at the end of um, our stand up in the morning or, you know, something like that, just little things can make a big difference. And on a small team in a remote culture, setting those expectations is important, but also meeting people where they're at so that you can make sure that you're setting up for them for success too. If you have a team member that's just constantly on their phone or doing work during meetings or something like that, you might want to ask yourself, you know, Hey, like, are you overworked? Do you have too much stuff going on? Is it hard for you to unplug during this hour so that we can you can contribute to the conversation? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. And you start to see that there are plenty of opportunities for you to lead them and manage them through a remote work environment that you maybe missed before because you were thinking too much about what does the policy say. So considering, yeah, we're HR and, you know, you're going to hear about some of these things, um, leveraging a remote work policy to make sure that you're also opening up a line of communication so that those guidelines can be adapted. And the final thing here is metrics. It's always metrics. So the big thing about people operations is that it's different from HR in that we really dive deep into how the behavior and development of our employees and the work that they're doing is contributing to the overall metrics that we're seeing based on their productivity. So this is no different when you're thinking about crafting a remote work policy. So just a reminder, the first section was behaviors. So actually setting out the guidelines of behaviors while you're working remotely, whether you're on camera or off, whether you have Zoom meetings or you don't, et cetera. The second was expectations. So making sure that you're setting up the expectations and then providing a space for your employees to be accountable to meet those expectations, but also calling them out in a private and productive way um, to make sure that if there are small needs that need to be met, because you're aware of them and you're aware of their success success and advocating for them and not just to get them in trouble. And then finally, metrics. So this is my favorite one, awareness of team metrics 
to create tangible goals. If we don't have metrics to measure success and we're seeing a culture problem, most of us grew up, so to speak, in workplaces that were in person and many of us had great team experiences in traditional office spaces. Some of us probably had some bad ones. Some of us may have had both happening at the same time um, on the same team. You know, maybe some great experience with some people and a horrible manager or um, really loving your team environment and the office that you work in, but maybe not so much the hours that you work. You know, there's nothing's ever perfect. Um, But depending on your age, you might prefer that team cohesion feeling. I know for me, it feels like I'm always trying to think about the way that I can get my team together in person. That's not just for my remote team, but also my in-person team, like having drinks together, doing pumpkin carving nights, you know, going on a walk or, you know, having a picnic at the beach or making friendship bracelets, like little things like that where you can integrate that feeling is something that's really important to me. There's really no there, I hate to say this, but there is no comparison to that in-person energy. So while we can get pretty far and build some incredible relationships with our remote team members, this next generation of the workforce is likely not going to have the same expectation of what culture feels like. So while they may not see like Gen Z or even younger millennials that haven't worked in person, while they may feel or you know see that a they don't understand the impact of an in-person cultural opportunity or the the reward of working with your team members in person as an employee or as a manager because they may have not had those long-term experiences. So being able to really indicate that culture is more than just what happens in meetings or what happens in emails. It's actually what it feels like to work at your company. And you may have employees coming in that are not going to understand that high marker of being in person and how much easier it is to create a culture at an in-person level. And now I'm saying this in a way that 10 years ago, we were talking about we there was a culture being created with around us and not a lot of people were being really intentional with it. So culture can be bad and it can be harmful and it can be painful and not good. And most of the companies that really created cultures that were thriving and were productive and were honestly famous, they got famous and they they made a lot of strides in the work in the work discussion is because they were drawing on that cultural feeling in the offices. So it's funny now to see some of those tech companies that kind of set the standard for what culture looks like because they were the first ones to pay attention to it. Now calling their employees back into the office, it's not that big of a reach because that's what literally put them on the map. They would have people that were famous for creating an excellent culture. And then when everything went remote, their managers weren't equipped to manage under those environments. So instead of adapting their managers, they're trying to go backwards and bring people back into the office. And you're seeing a lot of pushback from employees about that, where I think that we actually need to re- revisit what culture should feel like and look like and how remote work inevitably plays a huge role in what it feels like to be an employee, especially an employee that's retaining. So that's a great cultural marker. So at the end of the day, If jobs, I know I went on a little tangent there. If jobs are getting done, metrics are being hit, and employees are retaining, that's a great cultural marker. That truly is a sign that your culture is working in the way that you want it to. 
And if your metrics are being hit, but employees are continuing to leave, then we actually have something to coach towards. So if you bring me that problem and you're like, hey, Kira, yeah, like we're on our monthly HR call or monthly people call. This person's doing great. This person needs help with the performance review, blah, 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 blah. But I've noticed that we're having a little bit more turnover with employees, but everybody's metrics are going great. It's like, oh, okay, well, those metrics probably aren't the right ones to be measuring. Were those the same metrics that you're trying to hit when you were remote employees and now you're back in the office or vice versa? You know, we're going to talk a little bit about how those metrics that are moving the needle may not be the right ones for an impactful culture. And that takes a little bit of digging and it's really fun to do. So (laughs) book a call. No. Um, But in fact, I started working from home well before 2020. I would work, if you've listened to this month's episodes, I talked about how I would work from home in the mornings because I got a lot more done. And that's what inevitably kind of started this discovery period of who I am and how I work best and how I lead best. If metrics aren't if metrics aren't being hit, then diving into coaching those employees, time management, and all of that may show that remote work isn't right for them. The same way that when I started working from home well before 2020 and I started to see the amount of work I was able to get done that then contributed to the amount of time I was able to spend face-to-face with employees while I was spending time in the office, those metrics had to change. Because then I was like, well, If I'm getting all my work done at home in the mornings and I'm coming into the offices in the afternoons, then meeting with one employee a week isn't going to cut it. I now have the time and space to really cultivate a culture and work with employees two to three to four times a week. So that metric isn't necessarily covering how we've adapted and it's not really doing anything. So maybe in the same way that metrics can show us when we're being really successful. They can also show us how leadership will adapt those metrics to more important things to focus on, hopefully at a deeper level. And that'll help us to coach ourselves as well. So more often than not, if we have an employee that doesn't seem to be thriving in the remote workspace, then it's often going to be more of a learning opportunity for you and for them than it is going to be a disciplinary opportunity. So I think that with all of the narratives out there about working from home and blah, 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 there are so many, there's so much data that is telling us that people that work from home often work more hours and are more productive than working in an office and commuting day over day. And by utilizing and accepting that data as reality and then adapting our leadership and cultural management styles to what we're learning about work, remote work. And this is a very short, like this is like an infant in regards to to the perspective of, you know, the discussion of work. And, you know, especially over the last four or five years, while I may have been working remotely partially part of the time back then, not everybody was. Working from home was like a luxury. It's no longer a luxury. So it's time to start figuring out what works and what doesn't, who it works for and who it doesn't work for, and how that can change and be adapted based on what what role you play as a leader. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I just want to make sure that um, while we are always talking about this remote work environment and that in-person environment, I believe that there is no real substitute for in-person community building and in-person communication. Um, That interaction once in a while is something that I really prefer. And the team that I hire and the people that I look for also want that and embrace that and look forward to that opportunity. So I really want to just make sure that we're focusing on the fact that there is no one right way or wrong way to build your business. If you have an office, 
because that's the type of culture you want to build, then embracing that opportunity is going to be a great way for you to take control of your culture. Um, If you work primarily remotely, then it may be a great opportunity for you to educate your team on what it takes to build a culture and setting aside a little bit more time to make sure that you're really enriching your culture. And sometimes a policy can help you do that, which is what this whole episode was about. But the focus of that policy and the focus of that should really be less on the do's and don'ts and creating an environment where your team is accountable for their actions and productivity and you are there to support them in getting there. It's possible someone might not be the best fit. That doesn't mean that you failed. It means that there is a need for you as the leader to redirect them to success or advocate for your overall team's success to fix it, which sometimes means removing a piece of the team if that's what's necessary. But I don't want to end on that note. So just keeping in mind that as a leader, the the productivity and the success of a remote cult- culture really does fall to you. So take radical accountability of what it feels like to work at your company and use all these tools that we've talked about in order to get to that next level. So I know this this episode was short and sweet, but I hope you really enjoyed it. And um, if you are thinking about crafting a remote work policy or you don't have an employee handbook or any of those things, then check out our new freebie. It's called Prior to the Hire, and it'll kind of lay out all the things that you need to know before you move into the hiring space. Um, if you want a more done-for-you service, of course, just reach out. I'm happy to hop on a call and do a free consult, um, especially if building a policy feels like it's the next thing for you. You probably have a few things that we need to address within your company so that you can focus on that cultural element of things and not worry too much about the compliance because we can get all that done for you. Um, so I hope you enjoyed. And next week, we're going to have an amazing interview with one of our incredible clients that really proves that creative entrepreneurship is all about building a lean and focused team. And I can't wait for you to meet them. So stay tuned for that surprise. Um, Don't forget to leave me a review. Bye.